All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. How are you? Are you okay? I am okay. Back in the uh, studios, shooting the TV. Uh, it's exciting, but it's long hours, and I'm doing. Uh, I'm actually recording this late at night after I've shot. But fortunately, I don't have to meander too much or noodle around or think out loud too much because I've got a couple of guests. I got a nice short talk with the uh, amazing Dana Gould. And then later, uh, after that, I talked to Lizzie Goodman about her book. Did you read her book? The uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011. I was in the book and I, you know, I, I feel like I completely missed music at that point in time. I talked to her about that. Uh, but Dana, he's got a new comedy album out called Mr. Funny Man. It's available on Kill Rock Stars Records. And the new season of his IFC show, Stand Against Evil, is premiering November 1st. And Dana and I go way back. I, I love him. I love him. He's one of the guys I knew when I was uh, just starting out. He was sort of a child prodigy. Is that what, it, is that what you call it? A, com- a comedic child prodigy almost. He started when he was like 15 or 16 in Boston. But uh, always pretty, pretty geniusy. So, oh, I, I know what I want to tell you about. If you live in Los Angeles, uh, you Los Angelinos, this Sunday, October 29th, I want to see you at our uh, only L.A. book talk and signing. I'll be at the Ann and Jerry Moss Theater in Santa Monica with my producer and co-author of Waiting for the Punch, Brendan McDonald, doing a little Boston. Got a little Boston spin on the talking This is all part of Live Talks LA. It's a 7 p.m. event, and we'll make it worth your while on a Sunday night. You'll get some book talks, some behind-the-scenes stuff about WTF, some secrets that you didn't already know. We'll take your questions. We'll sign your stuff. It'll be great. Bring your copy of Waiting for the Punch if you already have one, or you can get one with your ticket. Go to LiveTalksLA.org to get tickets, or go to the tour page of WTFPod.com. That's Sunday, October 29th, LiveTalksLA.org or wtfpod.com oh my god long day today for me as i told you i'm recording this in the evening and i'm back in it i'm shooting the, the glow i'm shooting with the ladies the gorgeous ladies of wrestling we're doing it again me and allison betty and the crew but you know you got to get up go to work hang out wear costumes Stand one place, stand another place, do the talking, wait, go up, another camera, change a lens, do the talking again. It's a little tedious, but uh, when you do get to do the acting and you engage and you have that emotional connection, it's, it's nice, it's good, it's exciting. It makes the world go away for a few minutes, which gets harder and harder to do. Uh, I hope you guys are hanging in. And as I said, I'm a little tired, and I've got two guests, so I'm going to lean on that a little today. So Dana Gould, what can I tell you about Dana Gould? He's been on the show before. He's had his, uh, he's had his problems. He's had his ups and downs. He's a warrior of the mind, a battler of the depression, a survivor of an alcoholic family, a father, a, uh, a writer, Simpsons writer, and an inspired stand-up. He's the whole package. If you don't know him, you should check out his stuff. And as I said, he's got an album out now, Mr. Funny Man. 
That's on uh, Kill Rockstars Records. And his, his IFC show, Stand Against Evil, premieres November 1st, the new season. And this is, uh, he just stopped by to chat. And it, it was a, it was a treat. And I want you to listen to me and Dana talking because me talking right now, not great. Not great in the head, not great in the heart, and a little tired. But this is me and Dana on a different day having a conversation. I don't know, man. How old are you? I'm 53. I just turned 53. I'm 54 today. Happy birthday. I Thanks, had no pal. idea. Yeah. I'd have yeah. bought something. Now I feel like shit. Now I feel bad. It's just nice to Thanks, see you. Thanks, Mark. It's nice I to feel see bad. you. It's nice. I didn't do that to you. Thank you did no. that to you. I did well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you blame You've me. Cracked it. I'm not going to play that game. <laughs> you cracked you it. You can play that game with ladies. I know. I play, that, play, game. <laughs> I play that game pretty fucking <laughs> well. I know you do. Not on, not on my watch. I'm a Jesse Owens of that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I'm well, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Do you have plans? We're going to go out to dinner, me and the girlfriend, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know... Uh, now, let me ask you a question about that. I okay. know this is your podcast, but I want to sure. ask you a question. Um, she's not a girl. No, I know. I have yeah. this. You and I, you, I don't me, like partner. Yeah, nor is mine. Yeah. Uh, but woman friend sounds like she's my nurse. You know, this yeah. grandpa's coming over, but he's yeah. going to have to come with his woman friend. <laughs> yeah, you well, know? you're getting close, grandpa. Yeah, I know. And, uh, a few more years. I don't know what to I don't know what to call. I don't know what to call them. I, some people go with partner, but I don't know. I, I just go with girlfriend. Fuck yeah, me. girl, that's what I said. Yeah. What, what does yours do? Uh, she's uh, an editor. Uh, an editor. Is this a new thing? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. How's it going? Very good. Yeah. Very happy, yeah. How long? Yeah, not long, like a little over like uh, like two months or something, but oh. it's been really- Oh, good. So you- She's you, an adult, you know. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's a grown woman, has the <laughs> children, you know, like we have a- Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So like uh, uh, even even playing field, level playing field. Yeah, yeah. It's Yeah, very much so. Mature uh, relationship. Of, yeah, I yeah. imagine that at this point- uh, You've, you've maybe you've met somebody that doesn't give a fuck about the things that you both used to give a fuck about and totally yeah well it's when you especially with with kids yeah it, it's just you really got to prioritize sure you don't like i don't uh, the first thing that goes out the window is going to see bad movies ironically like yeah. <laughs> done, <laughs> no, done. No i more. can't do that yeah. <laughs> no time yeah but it, but i am like at that point like all right I don't want to fuck this up. Yeah. Oh, good. So. Yeah, I feel that too. Uh, now, great. Now I have to grow. Yeah, yeah. Or, or turn some shit off. Yeah, I have to turn some shit off and be an adult. Yeah, it's the worst, right? I'm going to grow, he muttered. Yeah, muttered <laughs> as, he, as he stuffed all his feelings. Exactly. Like, I, I'm just like a Halloween dummy of feelings yeah, yeah. instead of leaves. <laughs> just walking around going, well, what am I supposed to do with this tone? Yeah. <laughs> I have to save this for horror movies. Where does this go? Why are you going in the basement when your friend was just killed in the kitchen? And why am I doing Albert Brooks now? (laughs) Why not? It's relieving. (laughs) Why am I? Now I'm angry and I'm Albert Brooks. Because we we wish we could make it as endearing as Albert Brooks. (laughs) When I'm operating at that tone, it's never endearing. Yeah, there's nothing I'm angry. Yeah, and, and I've honestly like... You get to a point in your life where you can't keep blaming your parents for your shit. Not actively. Not exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. you can't say it, but we both know. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, my family of origin, God love them, and I have yeah. great relationships with all of them, but 
I have still such little self-esteem. Like, it took me the longest time. Like, oh, you actually like me. Like, when I come over, you're happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Your funeral. <laughs> All right, then. Good luck with that. Good luck. <laughs> see us. See show you some pictures out. of the last ones that tried. <laughs> This one's from college. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the eyes in that one. Look at that one. Just bats and screaming children. That's all you can see. Uh, she Is thought it, it was going to be okay. Yeah. Are these pictures of people just out of Dachau? Oh, they wish. <laughs> well, here's the, you know, you know, Dan Klaus, the yeah, brilliant sure. cartoonist. I've talked to him. You know what he did for a while, especially in eight ball. Uh-huh. Those, the characters would have these crazily existential, stricken yeah. face what he would do is he would go into towns and he would buy old mug shots huh so he was basing these drawings off people at the worst moment of their life oh really getting fingerprinted I, I, I don't think he told me that yeah I, I interviewed him i know that he makes note of people like he sees people a certain hat or a certain yep. like he'll see people in passing and and and, and he's such a brilliant observer of of you of people in the way like when he was in Chicago, you look at the eight balls that he did when he was in Chicago, yeah. and everybody in there looks like people from Chicago. You know, everybody looks like a ham sandwich. Yeah. And then when he moved to Berkeley and and Oakland, it took on more of that cast. That's he's really great. Where did you record this new special? Uh, it's just an album. Uh, it's just the record? audio. Yeah, it's a a, a comedy record. But but available digitally as well, yes, or just yeah, on it's, vinyl? No, it's only it's only on no, digital. I want no one to buy it, so I yeah. made a thousand copies, a uh, small pressing of a right. record. Yeah, I have a. It's on Edison cylinder, and <laughs> uh, no, it's just it's just digital. And I said to the record company, "Let's do a vinyl thing." And I went, "Yeah, it's okay." <laughs> <laughs> we're they make money. They're a real record company. No, no, we actually we're in this to make a profit. We're yeah. not going to do that. I think mine came out like I just it was weird because I shot a special for Netflix. Yeah, and, Bobcat and, directed it. No, not that one. This is the oh, new geez. one. Lynn Shelton directed it. Okay. Bobcat directed my epics special. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh but they wanted to do record and I'm like, all right. And then they're like I was gonna do the set, uh take and uh, do the same set but elongated. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and then like by the time it came to the wire, I'm like, eh, just take this. Yeah, just take the thing. Yeah, I did it already. And, I think that's how to do it. And and I I wish this was a special, but nobody, I, 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 because there was a point, there was a brief period of time when Netflix gave comedy specials to everyone between the ages of 25 and 45. Maybe I just got in under the wire on that. Uh, no, I no mean, mo a lot of people have comedy specials on Netflix that aren't even comedians. There's a guy <laughs> at my Trader Joe's that has one. There's, there's the, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy that sprays the broccoli. He has a special <laughs> called Still Spraying. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got there. It's like I, I always miss the door. Like I got, like Why, I get. You know, I get, no. And hey, you're gonna have your own TV show. I'm gonna be rich. No, no not anymore. No, 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 no. You, you'll still have to go out to Acme in Minneapolis and do a weekend. Oh, but I'm a, but I, I'm an exec producer of a TV show. Sure, yeah, I know. It's sure, yeah. Uh, and then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that says that right at the end. I can of the have show. a comedy special. No, actually, no. But uh, you you should plug your the MC's comedy special because he did get one earlier. Um, oh, you'll have a comedy. Oh, I have many of them. I know. I know. You'll, yeah. you'll have another one. But what I found but is, what about the, how do you feel about this moment where like I did the comedy special with Netflix and it was good. I was glad that I got the opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but then you hear about like, you know, Seinfeld, Chris Rock and Louie. This like, they, they just gave Jerry Seinfeld a half a billion dollars. Thank, thank God. Because he, I was if anybody worried, needed I was it. worried. 
not that, it's not. I'm not even jealous, but it's sort of like, can you give me like a, maybe maybe like five percent? Yeah, one? yeah. I'm not complaining, but if you're throwing money away, yeah, exactly. I'll take a little. <laughs> no, I was. You know, I they were. It was one of those things where I was gonna tape it, and then I was gonna do it with a company. Yeah. that I did my last special with. And then there were the dates were confused, and then they were like, "Well, we can only do it on this date." And I was getting ready to go into production on season two of the show, and I, you know, you can feel the material ripening and yeah. reaching putrescence. Sure, and then uh, you feel it dying. Yeah, exactly. And I was I was looking at some ne- I was looking at a necrotic set list, as they call it, <laughs> and uh, I really wanted to get it down. And yeah. I, and I have a really great agent uh, at William Morris named Sylvia Lund, who's really a, a terrific guy. And he goes, "Let's just do an album." Yeah. And he called up this record company and bam, nailed it and and got it in. And I do find. That the audio lives longer than the video. Yeah, I think uh, so. People listen to yeah. comedy on the radio. They listen to comedy on their phone. I, uh, it's rare that they will sit down and watch a special again. That's true. That's true. But like, I yeah, will watch because it's passive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'll listen to a uh, special again. I'll uh, listen. Oh you know, shit, yeah, yeah. I'll listen to comedy records I've heard before. I listen to because uh, because now. Uh, you know, you have that done and then you're getting ready to go back out on the road and yeah. you've got to frantically get new shit, get new shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't believe it has to be 100% new, but it should be, you know. Do you really not believe that? Or are you just telling yourself I really, that? I really, no, I really do. But uh, I'm, I'm much lower than the percentage that it should be. Um, I, I think people want to hear one or two I wanna things. I want to believe that, you know, like, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think, I, cause I think you and I are similar in that, in that whoever's judging that, whoever's saying like, no, this is a shit from the record. Whoever's saying that, usually we make them up. And you know, yeah, and well, it, there, no, there are a couple. I was, it, like, you always get that, oh, look, 20% of the stuff is new. Uh, really, yeah, but why yeah. that, why do we listen to that guy? Yeah, cause, cause he's the guy that hates us as much as we do. <laughs> That's why. He's, he's, <laughs> no, he's just a little disappointed. He's all right. It's just, it's just the way we are with us. Yeah, just yeah. a little disappointed. A little dis- never, almost, you almost yeah. got it, but not quite, right? But I would, <laughs> I, you know, I probably saw George Carlin, I don't know, a dozen times yeah. in my life. And I would always love it when it was like, oh, well, he's going to do baseball and football. Great. This and is, he did it. And you go to, this is great. Listen to this. Yeah, I, yeah. I still yeah, enjoy sure, it. Sure. Um, no, I, I listen to, I like hearing beats. Like, you know, there's because this music, it's it's a form of music. It definitely. It's a form of music. Like when, you know, like I, you know who I can listen to over and over again if it comes up because like, I got the uh, shuffle going on my, like, uh-huh. if, if Schimmel comes up, I'm like, oh. <laughs> because like he, he was such a master of this very specific type of timing, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of like morose Jewish. Yep. He, you know who it's, it's the, does, he's descended Jackie from Vernon. Jackie Vernon. Yeah. Yep. That good, good pull. Well, I, he told me. Oh, there. Well, yeah, and you know who else was heavily influenced by Jackie Vernon? Let me guess who. Stephen Wright. Sure, that makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, I love Jackie Vernon. Yeah, Jackie Vernon was amazing. It's great. I saw he was the guy I saw. My parents took me to see him when I was like eleven. Oh my God, where? That's what changed me because I saw him on TV do the slideshow, and then he came to Albuquerque, and I saw it in the paper. And out in Albuquerque, it was a lounge in the Hilton Hotel. That's fantastic. And my parents took me. That's to fantastic. See him. And that was what, you know, I was like, that's when I knew. And what he if was, he, but what if he opened with him? So I'm taking a shit. And you're, ah! <laughs> I, they would have been fine. But what, we were close enough just to see like, you know, he's old and he's like, you saw all of it. All yeah, of yeah, show yeah. business. And I, yeah. it, and I was not afraid. I was like, this is still good. You know, it's good. I had this conversation with somebody the other day. This is really, really interesting. I was, I was talking about how much I love Rickles. Yeah. And I was talking to a, a, 
a, a younger comic. Well, they're all younger. Yeah. Um, and I was quoting some of his stuff, and this guy's, oh, yeah, that's not, that's not good. Nah, that's not. What? Because because he's so unwoke. Oh, yeah. You know, because, and, and, like, it has nothing to do with that. Yeah. It's all music. Yeah. With, and, and I, I love that, the yeah. beauty and the rhythm of the music. Sure, sure. And I remember seeing him. Sometimes uh, he said things that didn't even make sense. But because no, it was I'll give you. Perfect. I will give you a beautiful example. I was with your friend and mine, Rob Cohen, yeah. at the Desert Inn, and they had just had a giant renovation of the Desert Inn, and it was sweltering yeah. in the showroom. And he goes, "Ah, they got forty million dollar renovation. They got a great air conditioning system. Two fags on the roof with a piece of loose leaf paper going fa." <laughs> What does that even mean? <laughs> it doesn't mean a goddamn thing. He could have said tortoises. He yeah, yeah. needed one syllable. Yeah, That's all. Yeah. He could have said bears. Yeah, still, yeah. You know, I'm not laughing because I'm straight and therefore I'm exerting my heterosexual privilege yeah. in a derogatory way. No, he says, That's what I'm laughing at. But the weird thing is, is that, like, if you listen to someone like Schimmel, who is usually the victim of his own jokes. Yes, and in life, had the life of fucking Job. Yeah. And and like with that then the political whatever is uh politically incorrect about it, it's self-directed. Self-directed, yeah, self-directed right. And then I don't like He's the victim of every joke. Every joke has a victim. Yeah. And, and in Schimmel's act it was him. Yeah. And something somehow that can elevate. I think I that, agree. I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know if I I've had these discussions, but like I for some reason I'm just able to separate. I I don't know that you know, revisionism is necessary just because times change in terms of what you, you know, you feel personally attached to or what you like. You know, I, like yeah, obviously I don't, I don't Cosby's know. a little difficult, but, but I can still As make, is Woody Allen for me. Yeah, but I can still, you know, I don't- But do we delete all that stuff? Do, do, do we delete our emotional connection to it? Right. I, I, I don't see how that's possible. And, exactly. And, and it, it's like- Do my we love condemn- of, my love of Hitler's hit- paintings. Oh, I, I have to separate. You have that book too? It's <laughs> I terrific. I, I have really to separate. <laughs> I have the coffee table book inside. Yeah. It's just called Hitler's paintings. A lot of angles, a lot of hard angles. Not a lot of people, but a lot of beautiful buildings. Oh, yeah, but that's, I used to do a joke about that. It's like, well, you know, Hitler was a vegetarian. You know, like, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, it, but, it, but yeah, there's, and I think I also, and a lot of it is just being nostalgia- nostalgia for being to being a kid I like watching rickles on the dean martin roast and everybody it's a totally different school of show business than you and i grew up with goldthwait told me a story that when he worked with rickles rickles would would just roast him all day uh-huh. and then afterwards would pull him aside now are you upset are you smart with your money Do you, like mm. he, he was a very caring well that's what my kid. that's what my grandmother said like yeah. he, she'd go see him in vegas and he'd yeah. shit on everybody but he she's she put it like this he apologizes very nicely he apologizes very nice but the only thing with bob that he couldn't understand is that that he wore jeans on stage right he's like bob you can't you have have to you have to yeah, dress, dress nicely yeah, you have yeah. to dress and that's the general that's the thing that broke for that generation like these kids they they wear they yeah but those t-shirt kids, and like, jeans but that was carlin the kid he's talking about right but what i'm saying is in that era and, right. and and for us it's i i think it's like we understand that he's he can say fag or he can say whatever and it doesn't have any well he's ultimately got to shoulder that and if it's gonna yeah. you know like are you can attack me for you know still respecting somebody yeah. who, who has not updated his arsenal yeah. like and I, that's and, and that's and, and that's a that's a valid point that you do have to update and and he didn't honestly he didn't need it he i was watching him i went down well, he a was, jerry lewis rabbit hole done. when he died oh yeah 
And I was watching the Jerry Lewis roast from 1968. Rickles was on it. Uh-huh. But the, the two things that But that's the Friars roast. That's not even the... Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, the first joke that killed me was just like, Jerry, I say this from the bottom of my heart. Jerry, you're a Jew. <laughs> yeah. It's just like... It's just like... <laughs> All right, yeah. But the other one was, didn't he? He goes, you know, Jerry's a clown and there were a lot of great clowns. Emmett Kelly, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love... Like, when he came up... Uh, he was on, I don't remember who he was roasting. It was one of the Dean Martin ones, and J- James Stewart was on the dais, right? Uh-huh. And he goes, Jimmy, I spoke to the family. You're doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> there was one There was one where he was on. It was his last Carson yeah. appearance. Yeah. It was his last Carson appearance because Johnny was retiring, uh-huh. and then he made Johnny laugh so hard, Johnny got into a coughing fit. Yeah. And Rick was like, careful, John. Every time you cough, Leno's at home high-fiving the wife. <laughs> Oh, good one. I love when he got mean, like when it was like, that's a real shit. Yeah. Have you seen that one where they built him a club filled with uh, just celebrities, the Dean Martin? <laughs> There's a Dean Martin roast. It was might have been the Dean Martin show where they wanted to recreate a live Rickles show. I have it because I, I signed up for the goddamn- Yeah, the Dean Martin roast thing. Yeah, yeah they I, never yeah, stopped yeah. coming. I had no idea there were so many. But there was one that came. It might have been the Dean Martin show, but they set up a club. They made mm-hmm. it on a soundstage, and it had people like Pat Boone in the audience, all the celebrities, <laughs> yeah. Ricardo Maltabon. Like, it was probably 1970, early 70s, mid-70s. Yeah. And, and Rickles just went up and did his club act and insulted everybody. Yeah, it, it, it was great. In he 19, was just sweating. In mid-70s, when the American flag had wide lapels. Like, yeah, every, yeah. <laughs> it wore an ugly jacket. <laughs> I know. It's an interesting question, though, about... Because I had this moment where... You know, being a comic as long as we have, you know, and you and I are old guys already. You yeah, know, and, and and by the way, just to inter- I am fully aware before anybody jumps down my throat. Yeah, about Don Rickles and whatever. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm 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 done. I'm in. I'm with. Uh, th- this is not what is contemporary. This is my view of it. Pete Townsend was talking about that. John Entwistle used to bitch about rap. Yeah, that he didn't get it. Yeah, and he said it's not our job to get it. It's our job to get out of the way. Right. And and I and I'm aware of that. Yeah, like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, you know, I can. It it's becomes difficult depending on what the transgression is. Yeah. To to stay supportive, you, you don't have to be supportive uh, of somebody. Yeah. You can condemn somebody, and you can you think somebody's awful, but still say like that second record though. That was, sure. Yeah. You know. And and you, somebody said a really smart thing. Do you know Marcella Arguello? Uh. Uh-uh. Young, new comic, yeah. really, really funny, really funny, and really smart. And somebody was, you know, bashing some unwoke person who then apologized for it. And and she said, you know, you have to let people make their mistakes and and grow in public. You kind of let have to you have to let people grow. Yeah, too. you can't just like uh, you know sh- you know uh, uh, terrorize them into some sort of cultural Siberia. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you, the you know the, my last special, yeah. the one before this one. Um, I had a whole thing at the end about the R word uh-huh. and how it's now equated oh, yeah, yeah. with sure. the C word and the I, N I word. I tried to do one of those bits, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't, and I did, I mean, the bit was about the the strictly the nomenclature of equating that word with the N word and the C word. And oh, it was actually addressing the- That, that whole thing, oh, yeah. It wasn't about like, I don't use it that way. No, because then I did use it. 
Uh-huh. You know, I you know I said I would never do this, and then I did. I cheated all over the place, yeah. and I you know I I said it, and I said the n word and the c word too. Right. Um, and I say them now with relish. At, no, at home, it's how I mutter myself yeah, to sleep. Yeah, yeah. But so what happened? I wouldn't. Do, I nothing happened, but I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't do it today. I got. I did a bit about it, about defending, you know, the use of it. In mm-hmm. a, you know, in a sense of like. Um, in a, in a nostalgic way, mm-hmm. you know how you know what I mean. I grew up with that, yeah, you know, right. But then I got a, you know, I got it. I got someone. I think it was an email that just said, you know, I'm the parent, and and then that was it. You know, yeah, that was really I, it. and then I, like I had a couple of slips, but yeah. eventually I got a handle on it. I I did it, and then I met John McGinley, uh, who's. Uh, very on the forefront of 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 all those issues uh-huh. uh and uh it becomes real yeah and it and it's not about first amendment it's about oh these people have feelings and they're yeah in their lives and you go oh yeah okay i get well, it well that's the thing is hey. like how attached are you to that you know really need it the freedom of using it. that word it's not no one's censoring anybody yeah it's like you're hurting people's feelings and it's already hard for them exactly yeah so, that's brilliant yeah it's like yeah they have a rough enough time and yeah, you, yeah. and you can and that is true like you can say that with rickles talking about sure fa- fags on the roof of the beach yeah. they have enough they have enough they have enough trouble i my my feelings about that are like you say whatever you want but you shoulder the you're gonna have yeah, to bear, well, yeah take take the burn yeah take you, the burn and yeah. then handle it um what uh what's this new uh the new season stand against evil what's it did you finish it it's all done yeah we finished it it premieres november 1st on uh on ifc how is it different uh it takes the story uh it takes the story further the the premise of the story uh is the the whole idea of the show is was quite simple yeah um i love horror movies they're my football so i just thought what if i did a horror movie but put a character in the middle of it that didn't belong there. <laughs> yeah. And it was basically, what if my dad was in a horror movie? Because he wouldn't give a shit. <laughs> and my, he doesn't know. It, 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 just, no, he does He does know. He yeah. doesn't give a fuck. Right. And and we used to make that joke. If you remember <laughs> the end of King Kong, when yeah. he's on the building and the planes are flying around yeah. him, my brothers and I used to joke that if our dad was in one of those planes, that he would like fly out of formation, <laughs> check the score in the baseball game, come back, shoot a little <laughs> bit more, go back. Um, and I just thought it would be interesting if, like, what if instead of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it was just an old Irish guy that didn't give a shit. Yeah. And, and, and that was the, the premise. And... I didn't, I, my mother is still alive, but his wife, who would have been my mother, uh, dies uh, yeah. before the show starts. And because I needed them to have a giant vulnerability or he's just an okay. asshole. Okay, yeah. Uh, then what John McGinley did with that was created this amazingly nuanced character. He's a good actor, huh? He's a real actor. He's been around yeah. for a long time. Yeah, he's not fucking around. He doesn't seem to age much either, does he? No, he's, yeah. he's he lives at the gym. I mean, his his arms are, yeah. I, and I say this knowing he's listening to it. His arms are terrifying. Yeah. Um, uh, he, no, he's in, he's in crazy. He's like an old Irish boxer from like a poster from. But the he 1800s. was like in Platoon, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was yeah. in like five Oliver Stone yeah. movies. He was in Wall Street. He was in Platoon. He was in Any Given Sunday. Yeah. But he's built like an old Irish boxer. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's all, yeah. all upper body. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. But he created. He gave this character so much more than than I had given it on the page. And 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 I have to also uh, give Janet Varney uh, uh, amazing uh, kudos for the the way she balances him, uh-huh. the ballast that she and, and is such a strong actress. Yeah. But 
because John had done so much of this work that for the second season, I had to write up to him. So I developed a, a whole arc of a storyline where there's a time travel element where he's going to try to go back and save his wife's life. Oh, wow. And as is always happens, makes things much worse. Oh, good. Yeah. And that's the arc this season? That's the arc this season, yeah. And what's the name of the record? That CD, that, that digital, that, the, what did the, 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 I call it a record because I don't know what else to call it. Album. Uh, my, what's the name of my download? Because my download sounds vaguely filthy. Yeah. Um, Mr. Funny Man. And this is, what, what do you count? It's on, huh? Do you count how many you've done? How many records? How many specials? Uh, I have the worst, I proudly have the worst album titles. Yeah. Uh, Funhouse is fine. Yeah. But it's an Iggy Pop album and his version, his album is much better. Yeah. Uh, let me put my thoughts in you. I know it's wrong, which is okay. That's good. And this is Mr. Funny Man. It's is... good. Well, I mean, the bigger problem is really the artwork generally. Yes. Is it like looking at, you look at almost any comedy record and you know somebody was like, what was I thinking? Yeah. Well, almost every comedy record. Well, it's every comedian gets to be a rock star for that that I, one day where you get to look to figure out your album cover. Yeah. Um, I, did, I did all right. Like, you know, in retrospect, I don't have any stupid ones and the yeah. last you know the last don't comment. try to be funny on your cover exactly don't that's try it. to be funny on your cover that's it that's it i, I or in yeah. your quad split headshot oh yeah the worst people from boston we both know yeah 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 oh I've seen, what were there different panels like in different hats and yeah i can't say it on the air but i'll tell you what we're doing <laughs> I probably sure had one of those. I remember seeing it at the comedy store. I like how if they wear different hats, I know they can play different jobs. <laughs> it like, can be a fireman and a chef. Is it Frankie Face? <laughs> Who is it? Frank I can't. I can't. Tell you. All right. All right. All right. Well, good. Well, it's good talking to you, Great man. Great to see you. <laughs> Dana Gould. The great Dana Gould. So, Lizzie Goodman, who I'm going to be talking to next in just a second. Um, she was very good friends with Mark Spitz, the late Mark Spitz. They dated years ago, and Mark Spitz was a, a great writer in his own right, a music writer, and wrote a great memoir, and he was on this show, and because he passed not too long ago, you can still listen to that episode in the, uh, in the free feed, if you'd like. It was a great episode. It was very personal, very engaged, and we miss old Marky. We miss him. So, Lizzie Goodman... The writer uh, is my guest, and I met her. What I, I met her with Mark once, but she put me in her book, and we talked about it when she was writing it. Then she sent me the galley, and uh, I didn't quite get to it. And then she sent me the real book, and honestly, I just skimmed it, looked at my part. But I have very little recollection. <laughs> I talked to her about this, but whatever was happening in rock and roll from two thousand and one to two thousand eleven. I got to tell you, I think I missed most of it. I don't know what I was doing. I don't know where I was. I mean, the last time I, I knew I was really locked in to, to rock and roll happening in real time was probably in the late 80s. And then so I'd some, I just, some, I went away. I don't know where I went, but I wasn't, I wasn't locked in. I'm locked back in, but this, the 2001 to 2011, I was just a struggling comic trying to figure it out i did get i got sober like i guess it was right after i got sober that might have something to do with it but i just wasn't keyed in to the new york music scene i was just keyed into the comedy scene there was some crossover we we hammer it out lizzie and i hammer it out 
and I like talking to her. The book is called Meet Me in the Bathroom, Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011, which apparently are my lost years. But that's not true. I did, I did radio, did Air America. I, went, I got divorced. I got, did I get married? I got married and divorced in those years. That would have something to do with it. So I was listening to music, but it was like 12 to 15 songs that I put on a fucking mix after my wife left me. That a lot of that, a lot of those 12 to 15 songs. If you need a heartbreak mix, I got one. How long have you been in LA? Uh, I have a real problem here. Really? Yeah, I just I've been here for three days. Well, you frazzled. You know how to drive. Did you drive? Did you I Uber? know how What'd to you drive? Do? Did you drive here? I'm from New Mexico. I know how to That's drive. That's right. We grew up. You're friends with. I keep. I always forget that. I'm. Yeah. I want to go. I'm going. You should. I. I think that's a great idea. It's great there. How long did you stay in New Mexico? Till like 14 seconds after I graduated from high school. Which high school? Albuquerque Academy. I don't. I. I you didn't tell me all this. No, t- probably not. I don't know. You went to the academy. Yeah, yeah. How old are you? I'm. Tw- I'm. Th- I'm 37. I'm uh-huh. 25. <laughs> I don't know. I just had a birthday, and I have been. I realized that I've been telling people my old age for at least the last couple of weeks because I forgot. Yeah, oh, I'm 37. Really? Well, I was born in 1980. What was your old age? <laughs> 36, oh, as it turns oh, I out. I thought you meant you had a, a go-to. No, no, no. I just I have this joke with my friend uh, Rob Sheffield that uh, my age is is 26 forever. I have not really evolved past that. I I may I'm moving. I think I might move. I have to maybe come here a lot more. Whoa, now what's happening? And so I'm thinking. Oh, don't just drop that. Like I will. But well, the, but I, one of my biggest. Star, I've been thinking about where I want to live for a long business? time. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be happening. But really, um, yeah. In what way? But I will tell you. But just my biggest concern is that yeah. I'm going to miss winter. Uh-huh. And one of my friends, who's uh, I mean, half my friends live out here. And one of my friends who's lobbying, been lobbying me for an LA move for a long time, was just suggested to me recently, and I never thought of this. Like, you go to New Mexico for winter. Go have winter in New Mexico. So no, how do actually, you... just go have a mild winter. Well, it gets. I mean, it's cold. It's, it's not, not New York cold. I live no. in upstate New York right now. Oh my god! So where? Uh, High Falls, New York. It's. What are you doing up there? I was finishing a book. This book. Yeah. That I'm. No, a different one. The one I'm. <laughs> the one I'm avoiding talking about. The one you're avoiding talking about because <laughs> you probably hate it, which is fine. Um, I'm just not hate is not the word. <laughs> disagree with no it's Dis- not even a disagreement thing i missed it of course i missed this it's the it's called That's the rebirth right. and rock and roll in new york city 2001 to 2011 i know none of the bands in here really <laughs> would you like some help well that's what we're gonna do but i'm okay, not done so we're the, not done yet yeah yeah so yeah, I like the idea of spending the casual winters in New Mexico where Pinion it's pretty. fire, sure, some sure. parkas. White snow, yeah. luminati- luminarios. Yeah. The Luminaria vibe in Corrales is awesome. When you get your house Everyone's there. Everyone's doing the lights now, though. No one does the candles anymore. You can't go set them no, on fire. No, they do. Oh, good. They right. 100% do. It's the real thing. All right. Some people still do the real it's thing. It's a very traditional place, Corrales, New Mexico. Where, what, where do you think about living here? I'm not admitting that I'm thinking about living here, but no, I don't like cool people. I I don't like them. I don't want to be near them. Like I don't, wherever the Williamsburg of LA is, I don't want any part of that. There's no Williamsburg of LA. Thank God. It's not because here it's like block to block, you know, Williamsburg. Like I maybe, I don't know. It's different here. I mean, I want to live by the beach, but everyone says that you can't live by the beach because you'll, you know, 
fall off the what, face what's, of the earth. What, why is show business courting you? Because of the book. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Mark's like, oh, that didn't even occur to me. What a novel idea! I have to, I have to tell you For something important, show. which TV is going to disturb you. But you TV know, show. some people like it, so it's no, like, no, no. I like, I know it's a, it, people love it, and I understand that. I'm not being yeah for a TV show. There's it. No, I know you're not. I'm totally teasing you. I that's those, funny. This book is about a period where you could actually get most of the people to play themselves as their younger selves, and it'd be pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, it is very recent. <laughs> no, it's going to be. There's like documentary and and narrative adapt like fictional adaptation series ideas yeah yeah around well, that's great i'm excited about it i mean i want to do more of that stuff anyway and always have or have in the last few years and so it's like fun to think about how to make i mean people there i've just felt really gratified by the kinds of ideas that have been you know because i was skeptical about the whole hollywood yeah. thing, but so far i've been the people that i think we're gonna be working with are awesome well where did you how did you start out where did you end up you went to the academy you yeah. graduate you got brothers and sisters yeah i got a younger brother jake that's a good name yeah he's good he lives in nigeria really he's a foreign service officer he's a diplomat oh good for him yeah, did they, yeah the a, state department didn't cut him loose yet no um no not yet that's good. Maybe yeah. maybe in Nigeria they're sort of like let oh, the guy yeah. stay in Nigeria. He just got there. Mm. He just got there. Um, and it's funny we're talking about luminaries. He's going to have luminar or something. He's having. He's getting married in December in England in yeah. London, and he's going to have all this New Mexican stuff. We've been talking a lot about the new, bringing the New Mexico to uh, the New Mexico Christmas vibe to London. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, but where'd you go to college after you Penn. ran away? Penn? I went to Philadelphia. I mean, I wanted to be on the that's East Coast school. like right away. Basically. Yeah. I was all about New York. Um, I was obsessed with New York and with the idea of like Eastern urban yeah. magic. Yeah. Um, you get that. You, yes. When you grow up in a smart household <laughs> in New Mexico, you're like, I want to go to where it really happens. Yes. I like all this cowboy. Yeah, uh, cute. Cowboy intellectual shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's exactly how I felt. I mean, it is disturbing to be talking to you about this because there's basically no one who gets out of New Mexico. So those of us who do all have the same kind of like core spirit about that. It's People like, go back. They go back. Oh, I, tons, tons. Yeah. I mean, you're going back. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> I've been thinking about it, yeah. though. It's drawing me I back. I think about it, too. The way of honestly. life. Yeah. Like me, too. Get, like, I don't I like I, I don't I'm done with New York. I'm almost done with L.A. <laughs> Where else am I going to go? This is how I feel. You say I'm too young to feel this way. This is literally the conversation I've been having while I'm here. I'm like, I will always feel like I live in New York, but I don't need to live there anymore. And so therefore, where do I feel good? Well, that's a- only Corrales. Exactly. Oh, Jesus. Like me literally too. only Corrales. I'm starting to feel that. It's the only place. For me, for me, it's not quite Corrales, but I always romanticize Corrales, but I'm a couple miles away. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like literally Fine. very close to Corrales. <laughs> But uh, all right, so you so go to Penn, to Penn. Mm-hmm. and studied what? Uh, English and classics. And you, well, the plan was only good, was to be a writer. No, what a crazy idea! What idiot would do that? You can't be a writer. What was the plan? The to plan go was to New York and what? Just like hang out? No, the plan was to I did. You know, I was eighteen. I didn't have a. I had a. I had a homing instinct, not a plan. It yeah. was like, I'm going to come to college because you have to go to college. Yeah. And like, I'll go as close to New York as I can go. And I was really right. a good student and I cared about being a good student and I loved school and I yeah. had a great time at Penn. But no, the plan, it, what happened was, and this is the right call. Like I now understand this in a way that I can articulate and didn't at the time, but I advocate for it. It's like, I had to put myself near stuff 
that would so I could be in a position to have what should happen next revealed to me. Right. You know what I mean? Like sure. that's what New York is. Yeah. It's a notion, for a lot of people. you know, uh, yeah. for me and, and for others that that's kind of what the book's about is yeah. that sense of, I don't know why I'm going here. I'm just going here because it seems I, something's telling me to do that. And I can't tell you why. And I may not even know right away or for years, but it's where my next myself is going to emerge um, well oddly it, it you know it, it's because the place that new york holds in the cultural um uh unconscious yes for years you know at least since the 70s yeah especially if you're groovy uh artistic you know uh literary it, it's like it, it looms large yeah it means something it means something it's an idea and and but there but still to this day there's nothing else like it yeah. i mean you you know you can that's really... why i can't live anywhere i'm like well but do you did you find always that like i was just in new york and for the first time in my life i went over to jazz at lincoln center as a 53 <laughs> year old and it's always been there and i was there for for 15 years on and off and i did nothing you're like oh yeah hey like yeah. all this stuff's available to me. Like people, like, did you go to the Museum of Modern Art? I did once, twice. Yeah, but once, I, twice. And yeah. now, like, I feel like I'm ready to do that stuff, and it's fortunate because now I understand New York pretty fucking well. I can get around. I know how to do it. Yeah, so if I go in for three days, I'm like, is there a show we're gonna see? Yeah. All right, let's do it. But that's okay. That is exactly why my I feel like my current relationship with New York is among the best that I've had. Which is like when you leave, you are able to to be a kind of the it's almost like the first 15 years are investing in understanding the place enough that you can become an informed tourist when you yeah. go there. So now I do that too. Like I go in from upstate, you know, every week or so every 10 days and I do three days of city stuff. I yeah. see all my friends, I go yeah. to restaurants, I do all these things that I had no energy to do because I was so relentlessly overstimulated by the time I left that I was like, I can't even like I just want to hide. And so now there's this the slate has been cleared and it's like New York is fun again. But but I don't ever feel when I was 19 and started coming to the city from Philly all the time, I felt like I needed it to like kind of work on me in order to help me figure out how to become myself. And now I know how to be myself. How did it start? What help. year did you go there? What year were 1998, you 1998, I moved to Philadelphia, and I was in school. My dad is a New Yorker, so my dad grew up on, in Stuyvesant Town. Yeah. And my grandparents still I was on a waiting there. list there for a while. Are you, who's going to get that apartment? They, <laughs> come on. You. Tell me about the Stuyvesant. Tell me about your grandparents' apartment. Okay. It's well, it has town. pink walls. Yeah, but um, who's, who's getting that next? Uh, Ruth Goodman lives there. Yeah. Uh, she She's, you know, she's she's... It's her place, man. Yeah. I mean, no one's, it's a rental. It's still like. I know, rent controlled it's rental. It's a deeply rent controlled rental. Yeah, your eyes are like glinting. <laughs> well, there was a time. It's always a New Yorker. Always a New Yorker. Yes, Ooh, rent controlled. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's you've like got the two last... bedrooms, two be real big be What's the kitchen like? How? Yeah. It's the last of the rent control. Listen, everything you're thinking is true. It's your fantasy come true. It's like the, per it's a no, big. It's not. No, it's it's not you're like I mean, you walk great. over there. You're like, this would be good. Oh, but it, when you when I was there, you're like the idea of rent control was like, I had rent stabilized, but that doesn't mean something. No, I had rent stabilized too, but that's like they're like it's not as brutal. So really, when you moved to New York in earnest, this is when this book starts. Yeah, I mean, I started coming to the exactly like I started coming to um, the city from Philly to see. Sh well, the story is it's in the introduction to the book. It's basically like I 
I moved to New York the first summer that I was yeah. in college. So after freshman year, I, I moved to the city. I lived in my grandparents' apartment. I worked at During Sesame Street. Yeah. And I got a job in a restaurant. You worked at Sesame Street? Yeah, I had an internship at Sesame Productions or whatever. It was a production company that produced Sesame Street. That was my internship. You were going for show business. I was not going. I was like, this is the justification for me being here. That's the one? Yeah. You picked Sesame Street? I I didn't pick it. It was like available. (laughs) And really, I was like, I need to go hang out in New York City. Did you see the trash can where Oscar lives? No, no, they never let me near. It wasn't a cool, it was like, I don't even remember what I did. I wasn't near actual Sesame Street. It was the production. Co- it was, you know, it was a midtown office building that was over. You didn't go to the set? No, no. What? Do you, how could you work for Sesame Street and not go see where Sesame Oscar Sesame Street's production company produces a lot of shows. Sesame Street is the crown jewel. I was a lowly intern. I love would've... that you're acting like this was my choice. Yeah, one day they rolled in and they were like, do you want to go to the Sesame Street set? And I was like, nah. No, that's not well, how, how it happened. No one invited me. <sighs> I was, I was, you, I. You didn't meet Ernie or Bert? I didn't. I wanted to meet Rock Boys, Mark. I did not care. Grover? No Grover. <laughs> All right, Grover, I met. He hung out with me. At I the took clubs. him to a stroke show. <laughs> we were like, "All right, mm-hmm. yeah." He taught me how to ride the subway. All right, so you're there. You're working at Sesame Street. Yeah, not like, going to the not set. doing all the things that I know I've disappointed you deeply. Yeah. Um, and just I got a job in a restaurant because I needed to make money because I wasn't in school and I had to like support you know i had free rent but i had to like right eat or whatever yeah. um <clears throat> buy clothes i guess whatever i cared about at that time right. records um and so i got this job at this uh i got this job training to work at this restaurant uh across the street from grand central station so they were opening any day now and they were hiring up staff and yeah. i got this job and um we and of course it took much longer for them to open than they had anticipated. So they basically had hired this staff of kids, bored, hot city kids, yeah. who went there every day for like four hours and got paid this lowly amount of money and did things like practiced waiting tables and learned the wine list and stuff like sure. that. And my coworker was Nick Valenci, who was the guitarist in the Strokes, and he was in this band like with his friends called the strokes at that and that's point when we the, were just pals. the portal opened and you're well, like well no i mean no it was years that was 19 that was the summer of 99 and it was i mean it was a couple years before like albert the other guitarists had not joined the band yet they weren't they it was my friend nick's like band nick i was nick was like half-heartedly in college and they were just city kids and it was i mean the portal that opened that summer was not rock and roll it was new york it was like oh nick was cool in in that he grew up in the city and understood how to sort of like wander well um and how to get into bars and how to do stuff just it was sort of it was what like i had been learning with training wheels in philadelphia about as a new mexico kid like how do you how do you orient yourself in urban life and and let these places kind of like, you know, wash over you and expose you to the things you're supposed to be exposed to? How to get the rhythm down? Yeah. Um, and that like Nick and I would just hang out after uh, after pretending to wait tables and, uh, you know, like wander around office parks and smoke weed and office park pillar you know behind office park pillars and sort of like just wander around midtown it wasn't and then sometimes i would go downtown to like st mark's and sneak into bars and do stuff like that but basically it was like that was what was powerful about that summer yeah 
that but that was, summer was a, that was when my marriage was falling apart. <laughs> that was and the other then, big thing that was happening for, for me. For you, that yeah. Summer. You knew Mark Maron's marriage was falling <laughs> yeah. apart, and, and he I was, was like, out in more Astoria. Weed. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. And uh, and then he got thrown out of that house, and he had to find a sublet. <laughs> Uh, way down you should have hung out side. with us instead it was way chiller than what you were dealing with um, i was just trying to do comedy doing one-man shows that well, was so I, that is i was a, at the west know, beth theater yeah oh my god the west beth yeah yeah that became significant for me later really yeah because all the artists were had their studios in there and still do it's still let I me mean, oh, the, the west village to it, yes yeah. right um the west that the west village became later after i finally moved to the city in 2002 became like my spot because i don't like coolness like i don't like i didn't like i did not want to be on the lower east side or alphabet city but or like those places for me when i when i moved there i guess it was 89 the first time and then i went back in 94 mm-hmm. y- yeah you know, i remember you saying that yeah but but you know and i talk a little bit in the book about the you know what happened then but it really wasn't didn't it only put. I was just a little weird historical artifact. You put that. This, this <laughs> that guy is from not the, true. The, this guy from the generation before oh reflects on Giuliani for two minutes. Well, I needed that. I didn't mind. I thought I was well represented. Good, you were. I agree. Hmm. <laughs> so all right. So so this is all just before nine uh, eleven. Yeah. And you know you you found your place on the west side where it's not hip with artists that are you know. Well, no. I mean, I went back to Philly for like. Th- so what I'm saying is that. That's why it's this is important about the book. It's not bands like I wanted to be a lawyer or something. I thought it was going to be a lawyer. I was a school kid, but I was pulled towards this sense of magic and mystery about New York City. That is the idea that we were already just talking about. And I didn't. Yeah, I loved writing, but I didn't work for my school newspaper. I didn't. It wasn't like what what it was was it was like I'm I, I I was being drawn to some expression of culture that was related to my generation that I that had not happened yet and I did not know that that's what I was being drawn to but I during the next few years in the part before 9-11 where all these bands Interpol yeah yeah yeah's strokes and in you know white stripes and other places like around the world there the, all the stories that converge in the book all of those people were feeling similar things like a scent they were this basically the same age as I was and feeling a kind of like I want to make something but I don't entirely know what it is and like the world is not really receptive for this kind of this kind of vibe it's not supposed to be about urban cool right now it's not supposed to be about notions of New York what City. what was it it's supposed not... to be about in the music industry it was supposed to be about dance music in oh, America right. in you know I, I mean in England it definitely was about dance music or it was about like post Brit pop stuff yeah. I mean and in my business it was like I mean in the writing and what became my business it was like it wasn't that exciting to imagine yourself as a rock journalist because there wasn't a lot of cool rock bands so that's right and it was sort of submerged in jam met, jam bandness yeah. too for a little while there right so I didn't think oh I'm gonna be a music journalist I thought there's something about the way it feels to wander around Manhattan at 4 p.m. on a really hot day in the summer where everyone rich has left yes, and that's making me feel like I'm getting somewhere yeah. and I can't really tell you why. And so I went back to college and I studied and I kept in touch with Nick and a couple other people that yeah. I knew and he would come and play shows and then I would see in Philly and I, we would go see him and I had friends in Philadelphia who were starting to like want to go to shows. So it was like, it was a thing to do that had nothing for years. It was a thing to do that had nothing to do with aspiration of any kind. And that was really important. And it was also like, it was like traditional rock in a way yes. coming back. It was not 
uh, necessarily art rock, punk rock was sort of finished yes. in a way. Yeah. And and I guess like I'm sort of because like some of the bands in the book, I was given like for some reason at that time when I was there in late '90s, and then like I'd left by t- 2002. <laughs> yeah. But I was given CDs and stuff for yeah. some. I st- for some reason I have the Jonathan Fire Eater CD. Shut up. I do. That's awesome. Yeah, they were I, so amazing. And I listened to it, and I was into it. But like, what year would that have been? How did I get mid nineties? Yes. Okay. So yes. okay. So that was that times out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they were the. Yeah, they were around. The great hope. Right. I had my buddy John Daniel was involved with music, so I was sort of up to speed on some things. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the nineties. Well, that's all right. I mean, but like, like now, is it only good if you were there? You what? know, I mean that theoretically. Like, well, the thing about looking at the book and reading through some of it is that, like, when I read "Please Kill Me," yes. that was the, those were before me, yes. and that was when that was what everybody was going to New York to find was that. That's what this is about. No, it's I get that, but model. these guys were going to find that for sure. And you kind of write about that, yes. Like that's we were all looking for that thing that was but, like just it was just the the remnants of it, and <laughs> yes. the, and the and the people that were involved with that you know first wave of whatever made New York cool were just kind of droopy gray hair dudes walking around in their leather pants that don't fit anymore with somebody going like that guy used to be something yeah if that if they were even living there anymore but i i guess i just think that that's the continuum i mean it's not like everyone in please kill me weren't weren't pulling on i see the continuum of that notion of new york identity as much much as going much further much further back than just 70s punk i mean i think sure. that, that whole idea it's 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 I mean, this is later, but it's fifties. Yeah. I yeah. mean it's jazz. Yeah. It's it's fucking Ellis Island, man. It's like come to it's it's in the American identity of New York. You're gonna come here yeah. and you're going to reinvent yourself. And the cultural potency of that has is almost as old as you know, as the city in yeah. some way. And so But specifically in the world of the arts. Yes. You know what? What you know? What came out of New York, and then what sort of defined it is you had, you know, wealthy people <laughs> who were willing to kick in to make shit happen. Yes. Right. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Sure. That's where you but, get the, a, a lot of the yeah, art from the fifties. Yeah, yes. benefactors. But then, I mean, you know, the for us because this is my taste, and I, I, I'm, I think yours too. Like the punk, the seventies punk scene in CBGBs is just like. I mean, Please Kill Me was my total Bible. I'm obsessed with everybody in that book. Yeah. I love that music. That's my stuff. Right? I even came to that late. <laughs> it's your, another of your fu- specialties. More mm-hmm. material for the business card. Yeah, um, yeah. Late to the party. Late to the party. Catastrophic thinking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Wrong kind of leadership skills. The future doesn't look good for any of us. <laughs> Mark Maron. Mark Maron. <laughs> love Mark. Um but, you know, I mean, obviously, there's also the whole Greenwich Village, like, sure. I mean, Dylan, for most people, Dylan is a touchstone for this. And it's so the idea that New York is this place that's constantly pulling on a previous, constantly kind of co-opting and borrowing its own past self yeah. to reinvent for a new group of young people, essentially the a new for them version of the same thing however they can, that gets yeah, articulated they could, they could that's fi- eternal right they could still find the space there if they can still find the space there which is the question now but like for my for this book for yeah. me in the bathroom like i don't see it as i i see it as just 
the sort of the 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 chapter in the canon of that New York cultural story. It's just right. goes right into the bookshelf right. right there, you know, after Please Kill Me yeah. and after Madonna and yeah. like before whatever comes next. But it's just it's a stop. It's a stop on the larger train. I think that. what comes next is going to be a a, a prominent uh, either Chinese or Russian trend in rock music. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have that on good authority? It seems like it. <laughs> that's that, 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 that's me speculating in right? a non-catastrophic way. <laughs> yes. Start yeah, to enjoy no, the, your uh... vibe is not catastrophic <laughs> at all as you say that. So So when soothing. now what what starts to drive when did you meet the uh, the the late great Mark Spitz? I met the late great Mark Spitz pretty early. I Cuz so... I assume he he served as some sort of guide to whatever the fuck <laughs> happened to you <laughs> wow yeah i think he'd really like you putting it that way well what mark would say is that i taught he taught me everything i know okay, um there you go. so he would want me to say it that way actually. so you're this bright-eyed kid from new mexico through philly who's looking for a rock fantasy and that demon <laughs> and comes like, out of somewhere yes he's like i can help you out slash ruin your life <laughs> and i was like great that's basically fun. our story. Yeah, he talks in his memoir about how I was wearing flip flops when yeah. he first met me, and he's like, "They're not shoes." Yeah, like he was very my New Mexico vibe was pretty. You know, I didn't wear any makeup. I didn't like. I was still kind of like fresh scrubbed girl uh-huh. at that point, and I think Mark was based. Mark dated yeah. like, you know bad badass rock girls with like peroxide blonde hair, sure. and like, and he was sort of like you are entirely too clean for me basically and i was like okay but you like me so <laughs> oh no yeah. that's a recipe for disaster who's yeah. gonna win well it looks like you did <laughs> <laughs> fast forward to later when he would say things to me like you chased me you know uh-huh. just and i was like uh-huh can you do this thing i'm asking you to do or what um, was he writing for spin when you met him yeah so the way i met mark was yeah. sarah lewitton who is also a great character in the book and one of my best friends was my roommate um in new york when i first moved there so i graduated from college and by that time it was clear that like the city's music scene was happening and i felt i was like there to it, i was inspired by all of I was inspired. I was inspired by it and I was suddenly, there was something to write about and so I then was like, I want to be a writer who writes about this. Um, But I, I taught second grade for two years first because like, you know, you can't be a writer. Um, Oh, you taught? That's nice. I taught at an all boys private school on the Upper East Side. Oh. Blazers. Oh, really? Yeah, it was a double life for a while. Um, You were a real like full on teacher, not a sub teacher? Oh, yeah? Miss Goodman, second grade. What, Mm -hmm. and how, how did that end? Why did that end? It's a two year thing and it's like your assistant teacher and then you, maybe you kind of, the carrying on of that would have been to go get a degree in education and like stay in school. And And what stopped you from doing that? Oh, you know, Mark by that point, no, no. But yeah. he loved it. He he would talk about how I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would go because I I talk in my sleep and yeah. I would go, boys, get in line. And he would be like, Jesus, you know, like, fuck, <laughs> who is this girl? Like this is scary. She's like, yeah. Um, so now, okay, so now you're you're getting you're you're getting involved with the rock scene. Your roommate is what is she? So Sarah was Mark's. Uh, like little protege at Spin. Okay. So I met Mark before I graduated from college, actually, at Coachella, the, one of the first Coachellas. I went yeah. out with Sarah to see if we could live together. We went to this rock festival together to like try it on. Yeah. And um, she introduced me to Mark, who was, I mean, it's it's in the book. Their, their meeting is pretty awesome. Like he was, he didn't understand Instant Messenger and mm-hmm. because 
I yeah. mean, he's Mark. And yeah. Sarah was like this sort of proto tech savvy little Jewish girl in uh-huh. New Jersey who was who liked his writing. It was like, hi, uh, I'm Ultra Girl. And he's yeah. like, why is this window coming up on my computer? <laughs> and eventually she wore him down and they uh-huh. became yeah. pals. And so she introduced me to him and we had, you know, a, a, a sort of series of battles for about a year and a half, but then got together and... Yeah, I mean, Mark was my tour guide. Yeah. Through, he was writing for Spin. He was a hot shit writer, writing cover stories about all these bands. And How'd you manage not to get all fucked up? I don't know. Mm. I, I Honestly, I, I think it's genetic. I, I really do. I just, I don't know. You I didn't just, have the thing. I, I went out and drank every night like everybody else. And right. like, you know, there was all kinds of drugs around and yep. it's, but I just didn't care that much about it. Like, good for you. But it's not good for me. That makes it sound like something I get credit for. And it's not like I get credit. I to mean, not be compelled by that. To, like to get, like to just to drink and smoke some weed and just enjoy the music. You don't have to go, you know, you don't, I mean, I like you don't to have to party. die twice, <laughs> but it's it, it's it makes it sound like it's a matter of sort of will. And it's not. It's, that's why no, I'm it's saying compulsion. it's genetic. It's like I don't have I'm compulsive in other ways. Right. No, I get it. Like, I get it. But I, that's why I'm saying you're lucky. I'm lucky. Yeah. So that's how. OK. I'm lucky. So let's talk about, you know, the uh, the bands that define this thing and the, <laughs> the arc of this book, because. Yeah. Like, I just, like, I think I got my first Walkman album, like, uh, uh, six months ago. Okay. I'm a little, How are you liking you know, it? It's okay. I think yeah. I got that guy's solo record, okay. and I thought that was good. I thought he was a good singer. Yeah. So the Strokes, you knew, like, they, you saw them become what they were. Yes. And then, and then like, the, the White Stripes, I guess, were coming in from Detroit occasionally. Yeah. But I didn't, the White Stripes were not, like, sort of first generation in New York of that. Like, well, I who, didn't know them. who were the bands them. that were the... Strokes, Interpol... Yeah, 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 as an LCD sound system. See, and like the whole LCD sound system thing, like, you know, people are like, you got to interview Murphy, you got to interview him. I'm like, I don't know what he did. <laughs> so, like, I had to get play catch up with DFA. Me uh, too. Jonathan, the guy over at, what's his name? Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. He sent me all this shit. Yeah. And I like that, that uh, Prince Horn Dance Call record. <laughs> yes, good. That first record. I love that record. Okay. <laughs> well, had, you're starting well. They had to go find me that record. Like yes. I said, do you have one of them around? They're like, it's not one a good things. copy. Uh-huh. You know, we have one that's been laying around here. We're using as a, <laughs> as a, as a, like a, a mat for when you eat. Um, <laughs> you're time capsuling your way into this that's you will love james and you'll uh, i, I mean, listen to it no it's great it's great i watched the movie and i i actually narrated a sh- short documentary on lcd houses <laughs> having you're like who the fuck is this no anyway no blah, they blah, gave blah, me blah. the script and oh i God. and i laid it out but like i know he's something because he meant a lot to a lot of people like i can see how they meant something to people and really? i can also see how they kind of like, you know, kind of like, well, there's a there's a gap here that was once occupied by the talking heads yeah. that we should climb into. Totally. <laughs> but the talking heads said that. I mean, that's what I, I got do- no problem. That yeah. wasn't condescending. Okay. I, I am I, not I, James, so you don't I, have to defend. No, I understand I mean- how music works. <laughs> Tell me more. I understand. Do tell me more. I understand that there's not How? a lot of new shit. <laughs> yes. And that you just keep but, reinventing the old shit. I think, I mean, yeah, all right, sure. I think the thing that all the, the, the period that the book covered, what the book is about is not music. It's about all the things the we life. already talked about. It's about, it's about New York. It's the central character. It's about what it feels like for this group of people at that period of time uh, under 
to do a thing that is eternal, as we just described, which is to be young and to feel unseen and to get together with certain friends serendipitously that you meet who unlock something in you and to, in the shadow of like, of theoretical anonymity makes something beautiful that makes you feel alive. I mean, it's pure. That's like, that's art. That's young people. That's New York city. That's rock and roll. The, the, but it's important for the book that the context is also for my generation or these people that we're talking about. It's happening in, in coincidence with all these other major global events like Napster, which is 2000 and nine 11, which is 100%, you know, a huge part of this story, obviously. And it's about, and then the reinvention of Brooklyn and the commodification of Brooklyn and the exporting of that via the internet, the newly born internet to the world as this sort of notion of how to live like a lifestyle brand birthed by like when I interviewed James, he (laughs) said, I was sort of trying to dip into that, like the Brooklyn idea and Williamsburg and all this stuff and kind of ease my way. And he goes, Oh yeah, that's all our fault. (laughs) I was like, cool. Thanks. You know, and it's that's what so this story is about that, but it's about that through the lens of Paul Banks and Karen O and yes, you know, later Jack White or the Kings of Leon guys or whatever. And then off to England and off to the killers in Vegas and around the world. But I had that record. We should just make a little pile of what you did have. It'll be about three albums deep. No, I, I've You'd got more like, than I, I know. I, the I, Jonathan Fire Eater that's a, call that's an is outlier. pretty big. Yeah, that's a, you know, you get points for that. That's a big cred point yeah. for you. Yeah, uh, and I liked one. it. I, I thought it was yeah, pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. But those bands, I mean, to answer your question, such as it is, it's like, there's no, like, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. And this is a retelling of a generational story. That- but no, I, th- I believe that people make things new. I, I, I'm not one of those people that, yeah, you know, I don't I have a problem with appropriation. I don't have a problem with, um, with, uh, you know, the evolution of music. And he, because like, if you really look at rock, it's the people that really make something completely new are generally misunderstood and you know maybe years later people are like i think i get it (laughs) (laughs) and somewhere they're like no you don't yeah 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 yeah, but but there's a core group of fans that are sort of like we're the only ones that get it yeah that bullshit i mean basically the story of the book to to i mean if this is mark says this in the book i mean he's one of the greatest characters in it where he's basically like look i was 28 and writing for spin or whatever he was 30 something yeah. he was 30 already and writing for spin and like mark who had an encyclopedia however you say that you know encyclopedic. what i'm saying encyclopedic thank you very much um sandia prep thank mm-hmm. you um knowledge of music and film and all that stuff was sitting there in new york city loving new york city sort of but just bored and and the the thing that this that this that the the sort of beginning of the book that everyone had in common energized boredom energy everyone was bored james murphy was bored he did not know karen o karen o was bored she did not know julian julian was bored julian didn't know paul paul of interpol paul was bored and it was like in their own independent corners of this town at that period of time they all did something about that boredom and mark Spitz or Sarah or you know any of the other sort of non-musicians but journalists future bloggers A&R people like all the different sort of um, I don't know contestants in this yeah. in this like road show yeah. all had in common that sense of what we have here right now is really not enough and we need to like build something cooler and no one else is doing it so we're going to do it so when Spitz heard like 
I mean, he says this hilariously in the book where he's just like, you know, when I heard the white stripes, it took me a minute to figure out that I was being saved because it was my job to write about Mark McGrath every day. And like there it was boring. It was bloated and boring. And that's the story. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's like, well, boredom, like to classify all those artists as bored. I understand that. But I think that. You know, in the history of of what happened with punk rock and the sort of like, you know, kind of strange, angry, apathetic posturing that happened is that what it comes down to, though, anybody who surfaces with any consistency (laughs) may be bored, but they're workers. Oh, right. Well, that's totally. I mean, and that's also New York City. Like everyone in that town has to labor. Yeah. Yeah, and I you mean, gotta want it. Yeah, and you gotta keep pushing to 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 sort of break away from the pack of garbage because in any city, like especially that size, you know, for every one maybe original band, <laughs> there's gonna be like twenty guys just tooling through rehash. <laughs> especially in an era where I mean, it's hard to it's hard to overstate this and it yeah. seems crazy now, but I mean, it really seems crazy now, but like being in a rock band, I love the guys in Jonathan Fire Eater talk about this and later the Walkmen. Um, they talk about how like w- telling your friends that you were in a band was like, ugh. now well, I have to go see that you over? play. Yeah. It was like, really? Didn't that- electronic music kill something? Yeah, aren't we, do we have to go through this charade of seeing you play? Do we have to go to, to, to brownies? Play? Yes. <laughs> On Thursdays at seven. You know, like, you're going to make us do that? You'll buy us drinks, right? I mean, it was like the least possible yeah. cool thing to do and and it was like lame and and kind of a, an imposition on your friends to yeah. ask them to come see you play sure so this whole the, it's hysterical because relatively quickly people would be dressing across the country and around the world like they had just been thrifting on the lower east side but not when these bands formed but that's interesting because that whole thing you know that thrifting thing has reinvented itself with every generation of people. Yeah, it's like and now, like they're thrifting 1980s clothing, and I'm like, no, I know, it's, you know, I know, I'm feeling that too. It's weird, like because yeah. when I was in high school, we were thrifting shark skin. Yeah, that's you know, better. Yeah, yeah, and then that, I, I just, that kind of the whole, you know, that rockabilly kind of blues, like whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, you better. were going after those suits and those I, skinny ties. Can we speak to someone about this? Like, can we address this with the culture in general that we just nominate certain eras as 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 take as as out of the loop of of going to be rediscovered? Well, some like, of them, that shit's not even around anymore. Like, you know, fortunately for now, everything is made so badly. I know it'll never have. Well, never no people thr- never be thrifting twenty seventeen. No, thank the God. M shit is not going to hold up. Maybe we've inadvertently <laughs> solved the problem the by having... The Urban Outfitters that yeah. was stealing the fashions that were previously thrifted yeah. is not even making shit that'll hold up to be thrifted. So maybe we just need a generation to cycle through that. And in like 20 years, people will actually have to create new stuff because it literally yeah, will have all to, disintegrated. Yeah, we have to create outfits that will withstand the heat. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're I did picking it. me right out there. I did it. I yes. did it again. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. We're gonna be You're wearing not. enclosed outfits okay. of some sort. You know, New Mexico's supposed to fare relatively well. I mean, water's gonna be a I'm huge sold. problem, but water's gonna be a problem. <laughs> but we have the mountains. We and have aquifers, though, aren't we, we right on an aquifer? Oh yeah. We give a lot of, as I understand it. No, no, wait. I think we give a lot of water to California. So motherfuckers. Well, yeah. Well, you know, California's thirsty, man. It's always uh, thirsty. Yeah. Okay. 
So, like, I know Eleanor Freeberger. This is what I yes. did with the list of names. Oh like, God. oh, I. She, no, you read all your quotes first. Come on. Of course. Yes. Okay. Then yeah. you looked at the list of names. Yeah, and yes. then I kind of poked around at like you know the chapter headings. Yes. But uh, but like I don't know Grizzly Bear, the National. I came much really late to, and I understand why they're good. But I I don't know that I go back to the records that much. TV on the radio, amazing. I listened to uh, their first and second record. I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. Um, the AAS first couple records I listened to Incredible. him i had him the hives i had that record okay. i remember liking it um so I'm, what's no, your just, problem nothing we're just get, vampire weekend don't think i've ever heard him all right well interpol i think i got a recent record with yeah. like they're back and i'm like i missed it the first time <laughs> pretty good libertines just got a libertines record how are you feeling about it pretty good yeah yeah kind of punky right yeah yeah well, hopefully we'll come up on something and you'll be like you really have to go and do that is that what you're looking for yeah well, I buy a lot of records. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm in, a, I'm in a renaissance of music appreciation. <laughs> I'll send you a list. I mean, I don't know. Like, I have I, your book. I, I know. Yeah. Well, you do though, actually, because you can't start. Go on. You know, you moldy want peaches. Yeah, amazing. Did you play Who's Got the Crack? I don't have it. All right. Well, you should okay, play okay, that. Play right. Who's Got the Crack by the Moldy Peaches. It's just one song. Well, that song in particular is your gateway drug for them. David Cross, comedian. I know him. Yeah. Familiar with his work. <laughs> yes. Are you? <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Hold steady. I like that guy. Craig's yeah, a good Craig's guy. Craig's pretty great, right? Yeah, he's a good talker. He's a thinker. He's good. The Killers. I like that. Okay. Kings of Leon. First two records. Incredible. Then what happened? Well, yeah, but okay. That that's another alternate <laughs> title for this book. <laughs> sure is. Yeah. Where's the staying power? <laughs> Well, they're all still making albums and touring uh, yeah, and doing right. well. Yeah. Like literally all of these people. Yeah. Um, well, but, okay. So like, you, okay, let's talk about then what happened. What did happen? Well, let's first talk about like the hole that, you know, 9-11 left in the world and that like in terms of- And you're all over that chapter. See, that's another place right, that I used but, you. But compounding the board, like whatever that boredom was, was that horrendous existential, yes. like just terror, sadness, grieving- like, I think I talked to Spitz about that a bit, yes, too. Yes, he did, yeah. But uh, a lot of this came out of that. Well, it didn't come out of it. it right. It, it was positioned, as gross as that word is under the circumstances, yeah. to be heard in a different way and by more people as a result of it. So, right. like, you know, none of these important records, the first Yaya's record, the first Strokes record, the first Interpol record early DFA stuff. Yeah. None of that had been was written post 9/11. It was not a response right. to that. No, right. It Absolutely. was right. written before, but it was about, you know, it was about all these themes that we were just talking about, yeah. culture considered obsolete, like sadness and anxiety and loud guitars as a solution to that sure. or as an expression of that, as a response to being alive, right? It was like, "Oh, that's old news." And then you know, the towers come down and New York City is under attack and America is under attack and it makes you kind of return to the the sort of like core uh, aesthetics of rebellion and that's rock and roll. So what do you want to hear? You want to hear Jack fucking White playing guitar. You want to hear uh, the urgency of the first Strokes record. You, wanna, you want a kind of... Um, a manic toughness you right. want that i'm um, hip to that yeah and i think so these bands who it's not like if 9-11 hadn't happened the strokes wouldn't have broken in england they had already broken in england and kind of ignited this industry-wide like double take towards new york before 9-11 happened their album was supposed to come out like the week after 9-11 the first one in the states so it was already kicking off but what 9-11 did is a couple of things i think and this is argued in the book it it 
it animated it it increased the number of people who were immediately feeling the need for that kind of sound and it also turned the world's attention to New York City culturally in a way that it had not been it had not had the attention of of sort of like global cool hounds in that way in since I don't know and also like they were it was also got attention for perseverance yes everyone uh, I mean strength uh uh, sympathy yeah you know uh you know Bruce Springsteen had to go to work totally yeah, yeah, Bruce Springsteen got the bat call. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. time to hit it, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I think I mean all these bands talk about touring in the wake of that and being oh, doing comedy in the wake of it. Sure, and and the, but being cast as kind of um, emissaries for New York, and again for this idea of what New York is about—that the entire world, on some level, was either either loving or hating at that point in new ways. Because well, yeah, it was it was interesting time because if you were a New Yorker and you did live there, yeah, you were like, we're we're gonna fight. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah, and we're thinking about that now. Yeah. And 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 the other thing that it did, I think, for the purposes of this scene such as it is and Tunde from TV on the radio talks about this in the book I think he when I he when he said this to me it really kind of it was a turning point from uh-huh. my understanding of this he talked about how basically he thinks 9-11 put a kind of pause button on the gentrification race that uh-huh. was already happening I mean the the sort of post the Giuliani into Bloomberg cleaning up of everything sure. that would eventually result in the New York the slick anodyne New York I don't even know who lives there uh, no one does. It's it's Saudi billionaires who have apartments. Right, they're they summer don't. homes. Yeah, they're, they're summer homes that yeah. they like might go to. It seems maybe. French, Russian. It's Saudi, all yeah, it's and it's just it's well Chinese. I don't know what it no, is. No, no, I, I, it's it's just it feel like it. De- it feels like it doesn't have uh, a a cultural identity. It has it an architectural identity. Yes. And, and the identity right now is money. Money has a bleaching effect eventually uh-huh, uh-huh. on culture i think and uh-huh. right now new york feels to me like burnt out literally like whited out like not right. i don't i'm not talking about race not although, burnt uh, out in the way that it was burnt out no. when it was bankrupt but burnt out in the way out. that like, right that that like, like acid has been poured on it and it's it's like bleached out you uh-huh, know uh-huh like I don't know. I mean, I keep seeing, you know, I don't know what causes this, but when the a screen turns... The spirit has yeah. been deadened. Yeah, by capitalism, Yeah, man. by money. Um, yeah, and, by, and by people that don't, that, that they don't... Like, it's, it'd be interesting to, to, to really explore what is rooting there, you know, in the sense that, you know, it is completely antithetical to what it used to be when it was... Well, I think the big difference was there was a time where... Always money there, mm-hmm. but the people that worked there yes. could live there. Yes, and now that's not true. And what's funny, and not ha-ha funny, but of course, like, the it's all connected to this era because that's why James saying it's our fault is funny in, again... Brooklyn. Like, Brooklyn, because it's all those people... New York became the kind of place where you would invest in that kind of apartment because of all of the culture that that re enlivened it and made it interesting and sort of buzzy and brandable right. in that way. And now all these people who bought there on some level, whether they know it or not, as a result of this this latest incarnation yeah. of that New York thing right. live in a place where none of those people can be. But this is also like in a way so boring because yeah. it's like no shit. Yeah. That's called the cycle of art. That's yeah. called like art versus commerce 101. I mean, it's going to just play itself that, and out, all that, that way over and, and over and over They all moved out of the city. Like that, that generation yes, of artists, once they got money. They all live here. 
They or all they, live or, here. Or they live in New Jersey or Connecticut or well, Brooklyn or, you know. No, a lot of them keep sort of like, I love this. I understand this instinct. I feel this instinct. They keep places in New York. Yeah. Like a little apartment on near the Bowery or right. a little whatever. And just to kind of be like, no, no. I still got That's a bed me. there. That's yeah. yeah. I still have a place to rest. But my like, head. so this the the arc of this book from you know 2011 sort of ends in Brooklyn be, becoming the uh, like the 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 wealth center of hipsters. Totally, and that, but also just that that did it ever have any integrity other than yes, like, for sure. But I also just think it's yes, it did. I will answer that. But also that the idea that that would ha- one of the things that's hard to see from now because it's so obvious that that is what took place is how unlikely that seemed that that would at the time if you had been sitting there in two thousand two and and sort of prognosticating that in twenty in ten years or whatever like Williamsburg, a place you could not get cabs to take you was going to be the default locus of cool for the globe for but it's weird because there was you would have been laughed out of that conversation well it's sort of like i lived in astoria i had an apartment in astoria from 95 till like 2000 and you know whenever they (laughs) my subletter was just informed by the new owner of the building that he now had the lease um (laughs) <laughs> Quick note, but the, like, a note when, under the door. But there were people like Louis had a place in Williamsburg. Yeah. There were people moving into Long Island City. Yeah. And like, so it was sort of happening, but that was because you could get space for yeah, still relatively happening. Exa- it's just like everyone moved to Williamsburg because it was cheap. Right. And because, you, and the, to return to what Tunde is saying, I mean, it was like you could get free. He and Dave Siddick met each other because they lived in the same converted loft and they were passing each other's rooms enough and seeing that the same shit basically was on the floor of each other's rooms. And it was sort of like, I guess we should probably talk. You know, you've got <laughs> yeah. the same weird stuff in there Lofts. that I have and like lofts. And it, that's not like, it's so easy to be like, wow, that must've been so cool. And it's like, it's, it's only romantic later at the time. It's like, I need to live somewhere and, and, and be able to paint. But, but that, right. But that's, that, that's the story of the, I mean, right. But that context or that, that framework of life has repeated itself. Yes, exactly. Generation to sure. generation. Totally. The loft. So the the yeah, the loft. <laughs> that's another title that we keep. Yeah. But the thing about 9/11 that Tunde was saying that's important is that whole gentrification we're talking about in the money and the bleaching out or however you want to phrase it. Basically his theory and I buy this now is that that was coming much sooner and 9/11 paused it because there was a sense, I mean, people thought no one would travel there anymore no one wanted to get on planes it was like people were leaving for a second it was like is new york's economy gonna die so there was this really like are things gonna get cheap in east village they were really i mean are things are things going to you know plummet here is it gonna be the 70s new york thing again because no one will tourism will die and no one will want to live here and all that stuff is there gonna be because it was it was terrifying and it was like you know every plane that flew overhead it was i mean people there were a couple years where and so what that created for the purposes of this book is this weird period of uncertainty that was really a gift to these bands because there was a couple years and this was my my heyday really of like going out and seeing shows during that time it was 2002 2003 maybe into 2004 but barely where it was like it was just wild. Everyone was like, are we going to die? Okay, yeah. let's party. And it right. got druggy and it got dirty and it wasn't that expensive yet. Rent wasn't going up really. Uh-huh. It was sort of just like the whole the whole apparatus was trying to figure out how this was going to shake out. And mm-hmm. it was like, 
Cool. Let's play. Yeah. You know, you should read, you know, book, uh, it sort of answers some of those questions behind the scenes. What? Did you ever read that book, Securing the City? Mm-mm. Oh my God. What, who wrote it? I, I like I uh, I like I recommend this book to so many people. I, I should have. Did you secretly write it? No. Oh, good cover. It's ominous. Uh, yeah, it's about. It what... looks like the beginning of every Law and Order old school Law and sure. Order episode. Yeah. It's by Christopher Dickey, who I believe is James Dickey's son, okay. and I still see him as a. Uh, you know, he shows up on shows on CNN and stuff, but it's really about how uh. how New York had to create its own counter. Yes. Oh, I should read this. It's this would great. be interesting. Yeah, because it was like, we have, we're our own city and we have That's to protect right. ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, because the federal government and the CIA and the FBI were not talking really. Yeah. There was, and the federal government was not really stepping up. And so these guys- didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was Giuliani still yeah. who was like, we've got to make our own counterterrorism force and we've got to have international- And Ray Kelly. Yeah, Ray Kelly, yeah. Dude. And this guy Cohen, it's, oh, I it's see it. great. I'm, okay, I'll read this. Like and you, then I'll be like, I should have talked to him for the book. Fuck. <laughs> this is my life. Like, I wake up still at night being well, like, damn it. Next edition. Don't even joke about that. Why? I'm never writing another oral history ever again. Or it's hard anything. to organize. Oh, it made me move upstate to a cabin in the woods by myself because I had an emotional breakdown. Like, it's so hard. The organization is really a nightmare. Um, well, you did it and people like it. Yeah. And, it, you know, it seems to be all in there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you do a little perusal, check yeah. it out, make what sure. What are you talking, what do you want from me? I, I think it's hilarious. I'm excited, my favorite people around the book are, like the, one of my favorite pieces written about the book was by my friend Dan Ozzy, yeah. who hates, who does not like any of this music, basically. He's in the book talking about Connor Oberst because he loves Connor Oberst, but he basically doesn't, he's a music nerd and a and a you know a rock critic and this he's just like, all of these bands suck, basically. I mean, not literally, but it's not his stuff. But the thing is, like, I have, I like, and, I, I'm not a Connor Obers fan, but I had him in here. Yeah. Some of my best interviews are with people who I'm like, I don't. Well, get that's it. why I'm saying, like, I'm. That's basically but what I, I'm I, saying. I, is I, I enjoy you. the I, fact that this isn't your world. I think that's more fun. Well, I can learn as more. the creator of sure. this project yeah, to so, talk to someone <laughs> like that than someone who's like Julian Casablancas is my favorite rock star of all time. You're like, well, you're gonna love this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, do I have a book for you! Like the this is writing. I take this this part of journalism seriously. Like it's not my job to write a press release for one of these bands. It's yeah. my job to convince those who aren't naturally inclined to take this as interesting that there's something there. Well, I, here's what I have to say. I'm happy you kids had your time. Okay. Are you going to try to say that that was not condescending? Because I'm not going to. That's that. That not was a, sellable. That, that was that's a joke. That was a joke. And oh, it was, was a, it? It was. It was. It was a sarcastic condescension. Ha 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 <laughs> ha ha. Um, let's let's shift shift gears to sure. more serious shit. Okay. Um, you know, I then the then the private police state <laughs> arranged yeah, by yeah. Julian. Well, no, just personal stuff. Yeah, I mean, sure, like I, ahead. you know, I haven't talked to you really. Since Mark uh, passed away, yep. I eulogized him on this show. Yes, thank you for doing that. And, uh, you know, because I liked the guy and I literally, you know, texted him like like a week before it happened. <sighs> yeah. Do you talk about what happened? Can you talk about yeah, it or no? I can totally what? talk about it. I like talking about it. I think people are a little afraid, understandably, to ask me about him because it's because you guys painful. were friends, you were romantically involved on and off. Yeah. You were best friends. He was, you know, on the up and up again. It seemed. Yes, one hundred percent. It's really tragic. I mean, the answer to what happened, which is what 
I guess is like not known, I suppose. I mean, uh-huh. I don't really know. No, I don't I don't know anything other than he died and then I I, I texted you to yeah. to say sorry, but then I got no information <laughs> and then you know, you just sit there and go like, "Well, what happened? What that?" You know, it's not he's one of those guys where you're like it was bound to happen, but it didn't seem like it was going to happen that way. Well, a lot of people you feel like it's bound to happen and then it doesn't. I mean, Mark was had a history obviously of drug use and i think most people assume that he died of an overdose and that's not what happened um i mean he didn't he we don't know for sure because there was not an autopsy performed huh so there's no like was there a cause of death the, uh, heart attack i mean cause of death unknown as far as i know really yeah so this is what you're not afraid to talk about we have no well, information kind of except i mean they I, I guess i just think like i so i was here and, you know, we shared custody of our dogs. So yeah. Mark and I were together from for six or seven years yeah. in my 20s. And then we broke up like 10 years ago. And mm. But we stayed incredibly close friends. And he was my creative partner, basically. Like that Mark, this book would not exist without Mark. He was the person on the other end of the line consistently throughout frame, my entire career. It? Well, like not. I mean, sometimes, yeah. but like sometimes it was nitty gritty stuff, but more just all writers need like the the all people i guess but cre- the the sort of like who do you, who's on the red phone uh-huh. you know he yeah. was on it was like i don't know and this isn't working and what do i do and like help and also i just need to vent it's like that was yeah. mark we yeah. were really really tight creatively and he would do the same we would talk to each other about writing every day and mm. our dogs and so i was out here and he had been in a period of incredibly bad depression for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, probably his whole life, yeah. but it had been really bad. And yeah. um, I was helping him and his his family was helping him, you know, try to get the right mental health care, yeah. which never quite came together for him. And uh, eventually, and so eventually after a couple of years, like in the month before he died, he was better than I'd ever seen him. He may have told you that. And he was like, like running a little bit. Yeah. He was taking better care of himself. No, no. And he hadn't been, I mean, I think I know that Mark lied to me about drugs over the years, but he wasn't like, here's what happened the night that he died. He went to a bar, uh, the night that I think he died. He went to a bar cause he, I mean, we don't know exactly when he died. He went to a bar, on February 2nd and he had a couple of drinks like Uh, a drink and a half with a friend uh and at 6.30 something like that and he came home and he walked the dogs with this friend and he was inside his house with the chain on the door and the locks on the door and a bowl of pasta on his uh, uh, on his like coffee table that's where they found him and I couldn't hear I didn't hear from him the next day and I was worried and I didn't hear from him the next morning and we he didn't do that with the dog. I mean, he was yeah. the dog thing. Mark loved those dogs yeah. more than anything in the world and wouldn't fuck around with their health yeah. and knew I was all the way out in California. I mean, he was like more neurotic about the dogs than I am. Yeah. And that's how they, his eventually I woke a bunch of people up and his super went into his apartment and he found him just slumped over on his couch with dinner on the table. So like as I have never done heroin, but my understanding is you You're don't make a big bowl. That's right. of pl- and also there was no drug paraphernalia in his house and no drugs. Uh, found and some, no. Organ went. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's an aneurysm or a heart attack or what. And he, I mean, the dogs were fine. They yeah. were in that house with him for 36 hours and they were thirsty and they, they didn't were. They eat the pasta? They, <laughs> he would love that. He would, <laughs> 
He would have fucking loved it if Joni had been like, pardon me, asshole. I'm hungry. And like there's sausage in that. Like yeah. she's too short. Oh. She couldn't get up to the too short. Short legs. Well, you know, it's 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 nice to know that uh, it, it, it probably wasn't some you know, grizzly relapse. No. I mean, if it, you know, I don't know enough about, you tell me, can you like have secretly done a bunch of heroin five hours before and then go home and make dinner and then die from doing that? I mean. It doesn't quite add up, but I, you know, but it seems to me that he put himself and his body through a lot. and I think that's it. It caught up to him, you know. You know, and if you don't know what your, like, I don't know when his last physical was. I mean, you could probably He had one. He, I made him go and get one. And what, what, what was the information? All, all systems go. Huh. But you don't, I mean, this is what the, there's, I mean, I'm going to be dealing with Mark's well, death for the not, rest of my life. Yeah, it's but, probably not heart stuff then. Well, I mean, right. Like this is, if you have a like blood clot, if you have an, an aneurysm is undetectable. I mean, you can't like, you can sure. go, people and this, we don't have any control over any of this. And the illusion is that like, yeah. if you take good care of yourself and you, get physicals and you sort of like drink your green juice that there's a sense of of control over warding off death and it's just not like that and like mark abused the shit out of his body but that's also no guarantee that he was going to die in that way and you can take really good care of yourself and you can get hit by a but i mean you know or die of something undiagnosed it's just what happened and it's it's uh, horrible it's horrible but the one thing we do know was quick yeah and he was there with the two people in the world that he loved the most, which are those two dogs. Oh, good. Swear to God. Um, well, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank and, you. And uh, congratulations on the book. And it was nice of you to dedicate it to him, of course. Well, I, uh, my friend Imran told a, a really potentially off-color but actually amazing joke about this when this happened because Imran loved Mark and knew him very well and yeah. loves me. And he goes, so that's what it took, huh? To get... <laughs> <laughs> to get to, to get them because it was dedicated to my parents yeah and they got this is the only thing mark could have done and I, I mean you know you knew him quite well and you guys have a shared sense of real black humor and so do i and mark i mean i can hear him sometimes just being like the biggest problem with that book was there was not enough of me in it so i had to do something yeah that's funny <laughs> well yeah you got to have the dark humor so you don't uh, you know so the bottom doesn't fall out exactly well, it's nice talking to you. Nice talking to you. That was fun. That was good. That was emotional in some ways. Don't forget, if you're in L.A., you can join me and Brendan for our only L.A. book event and signing this Sunday, October 29th at 7 p.m. Go to LiveTalksLA.org or the tour page of WTFPod.com. I can't play guitar. I'm tired and I'm a little depressed. Boomer lives!